I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. So our world is filled with all kinds of crazy things going on. I have, unfortunately, we have another shooting attack, this time in Atlanta. Uh, right now where the facts are all coming in, but it's almost a daily occurrence with people going off. Uh, what I did want to talk about for a minute was the reality that the illegal immigration into the country is a problem for many reasons. We are not prepared for this influx of people. It's too many people that don't have the skill sets they need. They don't have the resources they need. And the problems that they're having getting here, we are ignoring. And I could say it's the Biden administration's fault and our friends on the left who are ignoring the assaults on children and women, the trafficking of human beings, of women, children, and sometimes men, the bolstering of the cartels, the Mexican cartels, by allowing these people to come here because they're paid as much money as they can get out of each individual to bring them to America. And then they come here and they have nothing to support themselves. And the taxpayers have to support them. Now, there's nothing in there about who the people are. As I have said once, I've said a hundred times, I understand why people want to come here. It's a better life than where they are. I understand that. And that's completely un understandable. But that doesn't mean we can do it. So this Title 42, this act that allowed the government to immediately deport people uh, that came up under the Trump administration during the COVID uh, pandemic, is expiring very, very soon. It's been put off once, and it's not going to be put off again, I don't think. I think it's going to expire. And right now, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people massing along the border and on their way to the United States southern border for the moment that this thing drops and it becomes an open border. So in Texas, uh, in Cleveland, Texas, we heard about this neighbor who uh, had a problem. He was out there shooting his rifle, which is common. People shoot rifles in rural places all the time. And the neighbors asked him to please keep it down. I think they had a child sleeping. And this guy approached the house with his rifle and then killed uh, five people, including an eight-year-old little boy. And then he took off on the run. Well, this brutal murder of a family is, it's almost incomprehensible for all of us to think of somebody, your neighbor, coming over and killing your whole family. And I think the father survived. Uh, I know whether he was shot or not, but he lived through it and he lost his entire family. This is a horrific thing. What makes it even worse is that the killer who did this is an illegal alien. He had been removed from this country several times and he came back again in another wave of humanity and in he goes and now he has killed five Americans. So I don't say this lightly, but I am going to say it. All of the people who have allowed this to happen, who have not had a reasonable 
policy. I get that they want to make better immigration policy. I understand they want to make it easier for people who want to come and should come to get into the country. But the policy that they have created, the Biden administration and our friends on the left, have turned our nation into a place that is overrun with people that we are having a hard time taking care of. There's over a million people, a million people who have gotten away, who are not documented. We have no idea who they are. And they're in our country. We know that there are multiple numbers of people who are on the terrorist watch list who have come across. We know that there are Chinese nationals who have come across. Oh, Lieutenant Joe, you just hate all these people. That's why you don't want them here. It has nothing to do with how I feel about these people. I don't hate anybody. Chinese nationals, uh, they could be spies. They could be people honestly trying to get away from China. Absolutely. Because it's tough to live there, I suppose, if you're not uh, someone who toes the line for the regime, the communist regime. But we see they send balloons, they send spies, they send uh, spying equipment in all kinds of construction equipment that we have. This would be the cranes I spoke about a few weeks ago in Baltimore. It's not good to just let anybody pile in the door that wants to come. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this Texas killer is here illegally. And that tells me that anybody that allows people to just pour in over the border without going through the proper thing, without following the law we have in place, they are responsible for the deaths of those family in Texas as much as the guy who pulled the trigger because they allowed this to happen. Now, when President Trump said that killers and murderers and rapists were coming over the border, he did not mean that every person from Mexico or South America coming over the border was a killer, murderer, and rapist. That's not what he meant, but that was taken out of proportion because that was used against him. Because anyone who says anything about a policy that our friends on the left have uh, that they don't like, they don't think it's, it's healthy, they don't think it's correct, they don't think it's good for the country, immediately has to be uh, attributed to hatred or racism or something else as opposed to on the merits of what the people are saying. So immediately, uh, anyone who's against this wave of humanity crossing our border illegally is a racist. You're a hater. And that's what, and that's done for a purpose. The purpose is to shut you up. Because you don't want to be called a racist. You don't want to be called a hater. You don't want to be canceled. So therefore, we'll call you that. And then you'll back off and shut up and let us do what we want to do. And what is it that they want to do? What purposeful point could there be in allowing... Now millions of people, millions of people into our country that we're having a hard time taking care of. We don't know who they are. There are potential terrorists. There are people been let out of jails, just like the Mariel boat left from Cuba back in the 80s. <clears throat> Sorry about this coughing. Um, there are people then released from their prisons and told, get out of here, go to, go to America. There are bad people along with all of the good people who are looking for a better life. When you get a bad person, like this guy in uh, Cleveland, Texas, who shouldn't have been here, who's been removed multiple times, and now he has killed five Americans. Oh, well, too bad. The bigger, the bigger uh, effort here is to get all of these people into the country. So we have to figure out, you know, what, what is the purpose? Is it to make the system more fair, that we have to be more open 
to people coming into our country. Well, then change the law. Change the law. Don't ignore the law. That's the problem. If we want to change the law, and as a people, we tell our representatives who represent us, the people, right? The, the, we're the ones who really should run things, right? That's we the people. If we say, listen, we want to make it easier for people to emigrate to America, we want to change the rules, change the processes, change the requirements, then we should do that legally. If we don't do that legally, then what we're doing is we're breaking the law and we're all a party to it. Now, originally, Biden, his administration, and those people who support him, it was their problem. Now it's our problem because we're not doing anything about it. Where's our Republican Congress? Where are these people on the right? These people who are going to come in. Now they're doing all kinds of committees. Do they have the power of the purse. Why do they not jump up and down and say, that's it, no more money for this? None. There's nothing. And then hold fast. I don't know. But I know that there's a, uh, this killer in, in Cleveland, Texas, took the lives of five American citizens. And he's been captured now. Thank goodness. He's been captured. Uh, it was a big manhunt. And apparently the, uh, the specialists from the Border Patrol, their tactical unit, actually made the arrest. I think that's fantastic. But the reality is they shouldn't have had to been out there to, to catch this person because he should not have been here in the first place. So for everyone out there in America, every American citizen who's been victimized by somebody who came here illegally, they shouldn't have been victimized because those people should not have been here. Well, Lieutenant Joe, people would have been victimized anyway. You can't just say that because American people victimize each other. Yes, that's true. But why would you add extra victims to the problem? Why would you make it so that more people are victimized? Wouldn't you want to make it so that less people are victimized? Of course you would. But there's a bigger motive. What's the motive? To get all of these people into our country so that they vote a particular way. That's the bottom line. You, you, can, you can say whatever it is you want because we could certainly change our laws and we can make it easier for people to get in. We could have more work visas. We could do lots of things here to help people that need to come to our country, that have something of value to bring to the country. Yes, merit. Ooh, what a bad word. Merit. Yes, you should have something of value to bring to the country. You should be able to take care of yourself. You should have a skill set and an ability to take care of yourself and your family if you're going to come here. You should not come here just to uh, have uh, the American citizens have to pay for you to have your better life. That's just not right. I understand it. And we should be a people of compassion. We should be a people of helping. But we should not have to bear the burden of the entire world coming here. So this family in Texas, they're, they're going to bury their dead. The investigation will go on. The individual's in custody now. More than likely, he'll be convicted. And in Texas, he might get the death penalty. He might not. Who knows? Depends on where the trial is. But he'll be in prison. And those families will molder in their grave. And that'll be the end of it until the next event that takes place. So Title 42 coming to an end is going to mean that there's no longer any option and when you have hundreds of thousands of people massing on a border and then crossing over, think about that. You cannot stop hundreds of thousands of people. So the president has now ordered 1,500 military troops to the border. Now, the military is not necessarily allowed to uh, act within our United States unless there was a, uh, an attack on the United States, right? That's why we have National Guard and we have police and all that. But he's ordered 1,500 military personnel, personnel down there, and they're going to do uh, data entry, 
and they're going to do uh, non-police work, non-law enforcement stuff to assist because they're overwhelmed down on the border. Now, the mayor in New York, <clears throat> he has made a statement the other day that Governor Abbott from Texas is sending all of these migrants that are brought over across the border that are allowed to come in and they're put on buses and some of the southern states are sending them to the sanctuary cities in the north. And Governor, uh, I'm sorry, Mayor Adams came out the other day and said, it's funny that they're only sending them to cities that have black mayors. <clears throat> As that he's trying to punish African-American mayors. Well, I think the reality is more like the fact that uh, many of our cities that happen to uh, tend to be very, very progressive and very, very liberal happen to have African-American mayors and councils. And they are also the cities that have the uh, approval of open borders. And they're also the cities that say, I'm a sanctuary state. You can come here. We will not work with the law enforcement. Even if you're wanted, we will keep you safe here. And that's why they're being sent to those places. Why would they send them to places who have said, we're not sanctuary. We're going to work with the police. We're going to tell FBI when somebody's here or immigration, somebody shouldn't be here. He's sending them to places that have said they won't do that, that they want to be a sanctuary city. Well, when you make your bed, you have to lie in it. So Mayor Adams is, is complaining he doesn't have the money to take care of all these people. It's not right. It's not fair. Why should the, the, the cities and the towns and the states on the border who want their border closed and can't have it closed because the government will not allow that, why should they have to suffer? Right? So it makes common sense. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're African-American mayors. They happen to be liberal mayors who have said they are sanctuary states, sanctuary cities. Send us these people. They are safe here. Well, they're, now they're holding you to your word. If you don't want your city to be overrun with people who can't take care of themselves and are, are, have, you have to have to take care of them and your taxpayers have to take care of them, then maybe you should get on board, take a deep breath, and look at the reality of this and say, hey, wait a minute. We can't do this the way we're doing it. It is overwhelming to the cities and states, not just on the border, but the entire country are now border states because people are being shipped all over the country to communities that cannot afford to take care of people who cannot take care of themselves. What happens when they sent an airplane full of people to uh, Martha's Vineyard? What did those people do? That's a sanctuary place. Oh, we're a sanctuary. We're this and that and the other thing. They immediately, within a day, rounded everybody up, put them on a buses and got them the hell out of there. Right? We see this hypocrisy in front of our faces. We see all these places that say they're sanctuary places, but they just don't, they don't really want the people to come there. They just want a virtue signal and say, we're sanctuary, we're sanctuary. And then when they're actually there to give sanctuary, they don't want it because they can't afford it. It's too difficult. It's too much. And that's the problem. It has nothing to do with the race of the people or the nationality of the people or the ethnicity of the people. It's a reality. You cannot take that many people from different places that cannot take care of themselves and stick them all over the country and hope those communities will take care of them. Let alone the assaults that's happening to these poor people that are trying to come up here for a better life. Right? Women are raped. Children are raped. They're put into uh, slavery. They have to go in and work. And we're, oh, we're against slavery, but we're okay here because we want to get these people in. So the overriding policy, no matter the damage it does to these people, 
no matter the damage it does to these children, no matter the damage it does to these communities in our country, the overriding policy is get these people in here. And it's one of two reasons. One, it's so that they can become future Democrat voters. Or number two, they really do think that the system is so bad we should just let everybody in. And when you look at that, the one that says, well, we want them to be voters actually makes sense. The one that says we need to let everybody in is the one that doesn't make sense. We can't do that. We cannot just let the whole world come here because they want to. That's unfortunate, but that's a reality. So their family in Texas is murdered by an illegal immigrant. Maybe he wanted to come here for a better life, but he ended up killing his neighbors, including a child. And we're supposed to uh, accept that because, well, you know, uh, Americans might have killed each other, too. That's ridiculous. And the blood of those people are on the hands of those who accept this and are not trying to change it and fix it. So are the injuries and the assaults and everything else that happens to the migrants who are being assaulted, who drowned in the river trying to get here, who are in the backs of trucks and smothered to death in the trucks. All those deaths are on their hands as well. Making the system better is a good goal. And I would say, yes, we can make the system better. But we have to create the system first so that it's done correctly. There should be a merit involved. You can't just come here if you have nothing to offer. You have to be able to come here. You have to be supported like they did back in the old days. You had to have someone who was going to sponsor you. And those people took the responsibility of feeding, clothing, and giving you health care. That shouldn't be every taxpayer in America responsible for that. So we, we need to come up with the system first. Then let people in as the country needs them. And we, do we need people? Yes, we do. We need workers. We need technical people. We need laborers. We need all kinds of help here. There can be lots of ways for people to come in here and be a part of the American dream. But the way they're doing it is just wrong. It's dangerous. It's inappropriate. And it's deadly. And it really has to stop. Is it going to stop? I don't think so. I think we're seeing the crescendo about to happen. When they get rid of Title 42, when it's gone, people are just going to come flooding and we're not going to be able to stop this massive humanity. And whatever tragedies come out of that for the migrants, for the American citizens, uh, is going to be on the hands of those people who allowed this to happen. So that's where we're going. So what, what is our, uh, our presidential spokesperson, Corrine Jean-Pierre, say the other day? She came out and made a comment that based on the Biden policies, uh, illegal immigration is down 90%. Now, on its face value, that's absurd. When we look at um, this date a year ago, when we look at May of 2022, there had been uh, 2,150,000 people who crossed the border illegally. When we look at May 2023, in the same time period a year later, we see that there's 150,000 more, uh, 3,105,000 whatever the number is. There's 150,000 more people this year than there was last year at this time. So how do you say that it's down 90%? Well, here's how you say it's down. Illegal immigration means people are sneaking in and they're disappearing into the country. We don't know anything about them. This is what the getaways are. A million people who disappeared, didn't get counted. But the Biden administration is allowing them in they're vetting them for whatever they're doing. They're documenting them. They're giving them cell phones. They're putting on. Those people are accounted for. See, that's not illegal. So you change the wording. You change the meaning of what's being said. And therefore, you can say 
that the illegal ones who are coming in are the ones who are not being met by Border Patrol, not turning themselves into Border Patrol, not being documented as however they're documenting them, and then sending people into the country. See, we, we know who they are. We sent them into the country. Therefore, they're not illegal. So that's how she can say it's down 90% because the, the getaways are less. Well, I don't think they are. The number has gone up there too. So it's absurd. It's a word game and it's a policy that they're following that is detrimental to the whole country. So let's see what happens in the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to have a lot to do with the future and it's how things are going to work out for our country. We will, we will see soon enough. All right. So another thing that we see along the lines, we have another shooter in Atlanta and, you know, searching for him, trying to find him and why he shot people up. Apparently it might've started inside of a hospital. The details are very sketchy right now, but uh, healthcare, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot of shootings in healthcare. Uh, people sometimes target um, people who are dying and they want to go in and they don't want them to suffer. So they shoot them. There's this and that. But shootings in general, like the, and what they're saying is they think this started there and then it spilled out into the streets. We'll see where that one goes, but that's another one. Another shooting that we have out there um, that we're still not getting the full information from, and that was the Nashville attack at the Covenant School. Now, there's a manifesto. Now, I, I heard some people talking about it the other day and saying, people are in the know saying it's not actually a manifesto. Like uh, the Unabomber guy actually wrote a manifesto, right? This is, here's who I am. This is my mind. This is my thoughts. Here's why I'm doing this. In more like a document, uh, of one, well, one piece go ongoing document, a manifesto, a, a group of uh, beliefs and standards. The Nashville shooter apparently had notebooks and different scrollings and ideas. Why have we not seen that? Why have we not been able to see that? Because... How can, we, how can we make laws to help prevent a future event like this if we don't know what the causation was? Right? If the causation was just a person who is mentally deranged, well, then we can look at our mental health system and say, how can we identify people who are mentally deranged and get them some kind of help before they kill a bunch of us? If they are there because they have a hatred of religion, Right? How can we identify people who have such a hatred of religion, doesn't matter the religion, but they have hatred of religion so strong that they have to attack innocent children and shoot them down in their religious school? If they have some other kind of um, belief system, we need to know about that. And that, I think, is where the rub comes here. Because apparently the shooter has identified uh, as a transgender person, and some of the reasons that she went in and, and, and shot and killed innocent people might be because of her belief in transgender idealism. And they don't want that to come out because it's going to shed a bad light on the transgender community. Now, first off, I would have to say, I don't think it does because not every person who's a transgender wants to go in and shoot a school full of kids. That's like you, you can't blame an entire group because of what one person does. So do I think the transgender community wants to kill and murder people? I do not. I think this particular person had some kind of problem. They happened to be a transgender person and they did this. We need to understand that. What's in there? What notes are in there? There might be other information we can gather. There's some, some rumor going around that apparently the shooter there in Nashville at the Covenant School went around and looked at other potential targets and chose this school because it was the least defended. It, the one had the least opportunity for someone to stop a person from getting in and hurting people. And that's why she chose this school. 
So if that's the case, don't we need to know that? Because there are people that do surveillance. So I've said this all along. As many of you know, this is part of what I do in life now. I do threat assessments for schools, businesses, religious facilities, camps, anywhere people gather. I go in and look at the safety and security and, and what measures are in place, equipment, all that, and try and help people create a better security profile. People that do these kind of things, whether they're kids in schools, adults that attack schools, adults that attack businesses or whatever, these people do not wake up on a Tuesday morning and say, I think I'll go kill a bunch of people I work with or school children. These are things that build up. It builds up over time, their anger, their frustration, their, uh, their animosity, whatever it is, and they say things, they do things, and they write things that can be identified because people hear about these things. They will see them. They might see it on social media. And we have to learn to investigate them when we hear them to intervene before the person does it. How about the guy who went and shot up the bank? We forgot about him in Louisville, right? Here's a guy who worked with these people. Seems like he was having some mental problems, uh, managed to get himself a weapon, and then went and killed a bunch of people he worked with. These people are out there. They said things. They did things. So we have to look at them and figure out, you know, what is it we're doing? How are we going to help people to be safer? Get all the guns. Take all the guns is not the answer. It seems like an easy answer, but we already discussed this. Taking away the guns of, of, of legitimate people does not make any of us safer. Understanding who's doing this and why helps us to plan and identify and intervene. So the fact that they won't show us the manifesto of the Covenant school shooter, I think because uh, the people who are looking at it are saying, wow, this is not saying some good things that's going to make the, uh, the transgender community look great. It's going to make them look dangerous or bad in some way, and they do not want to release it for that reason. Therefore, everyone is now on edge and upset what's going on. So I think that also damages that community because then people start, start to think, well, maybe there's, there is an ideology about violence. I don't think there is. I think this was an individual person that did something bad. They happened to be a transgender person. So I think we need to see that manifesto. We need to understand what we can learn from it so that in the future we can try and prevent more. Every time there's an incident like this, we have to try and learn from the situation so we can prevent another one in the future. All right, so this is where this is what I wanted to cover right in the beginning here because uh, there's more things for us to talk about. But I'm gonna tell you, uh, you know, right now I have this little cough, you hear it? It's because of all the stuff in the trees coming down, you know? But I tell you, normally in years gone by, this would have given me such a sinus infection that I'd literally be down for the count. But I take healthy cell, right? And I'm telling you, yes, healthy cell. I take the immune boost. I really, really like it. It has, it has prevented this, uh, what do they call this pollen stuff from going into a sinus infection because it's made my immune system stronger and I can fight back. So if you're looking for something to help you be stronger and healthier, then take a look at the Healthy Cell products. They're on the network here. You can find them. I buy them. You call up and order it. They ship it to you. You start taking it. So they have something for sleep, for REM sleep, so you can sleep better. They have stuff for focus factor to help you think more clearly. And then they have the Healthy Cell to help you build up your immune system. Healthy Cell. Take a look at it. This is Lieutenant Joe. We'll be back in a minute. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, 
created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative thing. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody, welcome back. Glad you're here. I do want to remind everybody that, how much I am appreciative of the fact that I get to have this platform, that I get to talk. I want to thank the great Malcolm Out Loud and everybody at America Out Loud, not only for the privilege of letting me speak to you, but for the fact that they created this network and this station so that free speech is preserved and an opportunity for people to voice themselves lives in our country. So I think that's amazing. So I want to talk about something interesting here. So as some of you know, I, I write. I write books. I write law enforcement books. Uh, I'll be changing that soon. I'll be writing some other things. I have some creative things I'm writing that I'll tell you about. We'll spend a couple minutes talking about that. Uh, but my newest book, I think everybody out here, whether you're in law enforcement or not, will find this book interesting, not only as an interesting read, but it'll give you some insight into what goes on in law enforcement and how uh, criminal investigations are actually conducted. 
So one of the things we see is when something happens, everyone's quick to jump and say, oh, I think this person did it. I think that happened. It must have been this. It must have been that. Uh, whatever it is. And it's always conjecture. It's never actually understanding what goes on. So this book, it's called The Investigation. You can get it from the publisher, which is blue360media.com. Blue360media.com, The Investigation by Joe Pangaro. So what's unique about this book? And I think Malcolm's going to have it up on the America Out Loud uh, bookstore. My first book, The Interview, is up there. You can also get that from the publisher. Uh, that's about how to conduct a criminal interview. So it's, very, that's, it's a lot of conceptual stuff and, and mind stuff, so you might like that one. But The Investigation, if that's not up there already, it should be up there soon. You can find it from the publisher, blue360media.com. It should be up on Amazon uh, soon as well. Here's what's cool about it, and here's why people like it, even non-law enforcement people. When we see, uh, for those who don't know, in law enforcement, a lot of the books that are written are basically how-to. You know, Here's how you do this. Here's how you collect evidence. Here's how you do fingerprints. Here's how you do this, that, and the other thing. I have tried to make my teaching a little different in that I like to use stories to back up the points I'm making, good or bad. I like to tell a story. I teach about something. Let me tell you something that really happened. You get real-life experience in the things that I talk about. So for this book, when I talk to the publisher, blue360media.com, I said to them, hey, I have an idea. How about I take uh, a story uh, about a real criminal investigation that I was the lead detective on and use that as the backdrop for telling how to do a criminal investigation? And they agreed. They said, we think that's a good idea. It's a new way of doing this. So the book, The Investigation, um, follows a brutal double homicide investigation that I ran. And in this uh, story, the way, I, the way I did this is that the new thing about it is that I tell the story of the crime like a novel. Right? I start to tell the story. Here's what happened, the dates and the times and who was the players and, and who was involved. And I tell the story. Uh, I start from where the killer started at one point and ended up at the house where he killed everybody. And I tell you what transpired, uh, the background of the pre people involved and why this was an important case. And then I stop the story and I say, okay, now, if you were the investigator, if you were in charge of this case, how could you go and track the movements of the killer? What would you do? And I go back and that's the teaching part. So then we go back and we, and I lay out all the different ways that you'd be able to track someone from one place to another in our modern world with our, all the modern equipment we have and some good old fashioned gumshoe detective work. Once I tell that part, and I say, now let's go back to our story. Where did we leave off? Now the killer is at the house where he did his uh, dirty work. And I tell you the story of how he went in and killed two people. He did horrible things to them people. Um, and then he came out of the house. And when he came out of the house, he got stopped and he was arrested. Right? You have to find out how all that happened when you read the book. Then I say, okay, now let's stop. Now again, you're the criminal investigator. Let's go back into the house now that you know what happened. And let me tell you how you would investigate this, what forensics what you would use, how would you take photographs, what would you look for for evidence, how would you collect the evidence, what, how would you interpret the evidence, right, so you would understand the mind of the killer and what the killer did. So I get you through that, and then I stop and say, okay, now let's go back to the story. So what's interesting about this story, and I think uh, there's been some interest in here in, in, in having the story told either as a screenplay uh, or as a, uh, some other kind of a novel. That's how I started writing it originally before I had this idea. 
this this person that killed these two people, um, he killed the mother of his child, and he killed his 88-year-old grandmother. Uh, he brutally killed them. Um, and then he, in the course of it, and I'm not going to tell you the brutality here on the radio show, but in the book it tells you exactly what he did to them. It was very bad. Uh, his family was actually uh, somewhat associated with organized crime, historically, going back in time. Um, the grandpa actually was, uh, was a made member of a New York crime family, and he was sent to the area where they lived so that he could run the gambling operations back in the 1950s. His son um, was a bag man. He went around and collected money, collected uh, debts, paid off debts you know, from, from gambling. The killer was the third in line, and he was involved with heroin and cocaine. They would not let him be a part of the family business, you know what I'm saying? Because he, he was unstable. He had drug problems, and they wouldn't let him anywhere near the business. So this person who committed these horrific crimes, in the course of my interview with him, uh, after he was arrested, and you had to see him. We see he, he had blood and meat and bones all over him when we got him. We cleaned him up, and we started interviewing him. And I tell, this is part of the story I tell. Uh, we interviewed him, and three different times we had to read him his Miranda rights. Uh, each time he talked to us, and then he wanted to stop and, and rest. And then he would talk some more later, and, but I want to rest. And he signed the Miranda sheet uh, with his real name. Um, and after the third time, he actually made a statement. Him and I had a, a short conversation, and he came out and said, okay, I'm ready to talk to you now and tell you what happened. He came out and signed his Miranda sheet as Jesus Christ. And he said, the reason I killed my grandmother and my girlfriend, so my grandmother was the devil. And she was passing her evil powers off to my girlfriend. And since I am Jesus, it was my job to kill them. And this guy stuck with this story. He stuck with this story for a long time. He convinced the psychiatrists and the judges that he really believed this when all along, me and the investigators we knew the guy. We knew he was making it up. And in the book, I tell you the reason we know for sure he made it up, because it's something I said to him in the interview. Well, long and short of it is he's in a hospital now until he gets well. No criminal trial. He's not going to be held accountable. But he did some things in the mental hospital that betrayed him. He betrayed himself with his actions and things he said and did. And the judge found out about it and put him on trial. Now, he comes to trial. He grew his hair out, his beard out. Um, and he comes to trial, and he comes in, and he's blessing everyone. He's turning over tables. He's forgiving everyone. Because remember, he thinks he's Jesus Christ. That's his story. He's sticking with it. And he's forgiving everyone involved here for crucifying him a second time, right? Um, and then I go through the trial, right? So I pick up the story when he goes to trial, the interview phase, how we interviewed him. You find out all about that stuff. And then I go through the trial, and I teach the officers, here's how you can conduct a quality interview, a proper interview to make sure you get the real truth and the details. And then we cover how to prepare yourself for a, um, a major case crime in trial. How do you prepare for the trial for that? Uh, so it's a very, very interesting story to begin with. Just the story itself is very interesting. Uh, but then the teaching part is also interesting. So if you have an interest in law enforcement, you want to understand you know, how police do what they do, it's a, it's a great uh, primer for everyone to read, you know, it's uh, it's created for for officers to learn how to be better investigators. But the reality is, um, anybody that reads it can read the story part and get some insight into what law enforcement people do. So I would suggest that for everybody, you can get your copy 
uh, when it's on the, the bookstore here um, on America Out Loud, you can go find it there. Or you can go right to the publisher, blue360media.com, or eventually on Amazon. It's up there. It's posted up there with my other book, The Interview. They just haven't um, sent Amazon the books yet. Right? So that's why it, when, if you look at it, you'll see, oh, there it is, The Investigation by Lieutenant Joe. But it says book's not available because they didn't ship them to him yet. But you can get them from the publisher directly. Uh, I think it's free shipping. Um, Blue360media.com. Go get your copy today. You're going to love it. It's really a great story. And I'm hoping that it gets turned into a, uh, a screenplay and a movie of the week or something like that. But I want to talk about that and it, because it's along the lines of chasing justice. So when I, when I talk to officers, when I'm teaching them about conducting investigations... One of the things I'm very clear to them about, you know, uh, as a criminal investigator, whether you're a sheriff's officer, corrections officer, police officer, it doesn't matter. If you are an investigator, the reality is uh, once you attain that position, you are now tasked with solving these crimes, bringing justice to the victims, right? Nobody sweeps in behind you and says, well, Detective Joe, you couldn't solve that, so let me give it a try. That's not how it works. Uh, a detective, uh, an investigator gets assigned a case and they run with it till either they can come up with a, a good case to create enough um, probable cause to, to arrest someone and then hold them to trial, or they can't and they have to close the case and just leave it there. And that's where you get cold cases from, right? They, they ran out of leads, they ran out of suspects, they ran out of information, and a case will go cold and it, it's, there's, no, there's no justice for the victim. So my job always, um, as a police investigator, no matter what my capacity was at the time, whether it was as a patrolman, a detective, detective sergeant, detective lieutenant, and lieutenant in the patrol division, was to make sure that my officers understood bringing justice to the victims is the most important thing to do. And that is what I do, and that's what I teach about. So that's why I do the things that I do which is also why I like this show, because we do chase all kinds of justice, don't we? We're looking at all kinds of things. All right, so what else is going on in the world? Let's see, anything else political going on? So there's a lot of talk that uh, the United States and some of our allies are preparing for war with China when they go into Taiwan. Now, we've talked about this. It seems crystal clear that the Chinese are going to go into Taiwan. It could be tomorrow. It could be two years from now. But it's pretty clear that they want to do it. And I would, I would hypothesize that they didn't do it when Trump was president because they didn't know what he would do. They didn't know if he would attack, blow them up, even when they were concerned, just like Putin didn't make any moves when Trump was there. The minute Trump was gone and we had a weak individual like Joe Biden who has weak, uh, he's the greatest foreign policy guy in the world. Uh, no, he's not. Um, and he's, he's very weak. He's mentally weak. He's, he's elderly. He can't make the decisions. And his policies are, are a train wreck. Uh, when they saw that, there's not really a chance of a good response from America. They both make their moves. You know, Putin uh, went into uh, Ukraine, and uh, President Xi, Premier Xi, whatever he's called these days, uh, he's looking at Taiwan and he's salivating. This is my moment. Because what's really going to happen? If he rolled troops into Taiwan, are we going to send the 6th Fleet or the 7th Fleet or whatever we got over there to go battle the Chinese who, who are close to their homeland, have great supply lines, and we're around the world? Are we going to use nuclear weapons to get them out of Taiwan? I don't think so. 
I think what will happen here is there will be a skirmish. We'll lose American lives, and the Chinese will end up ruling Taiwan. There's also an option that the Allies, including France, who said, why would, we, why would we follow America's lead on this? Why would we get into a hot war with China? Why, we shouldn't do that. We don't care what happens to Taiwan. Paraphrasing, of course, but that's his bottom line. Will our allies really get involved in this? Will they shed their blood and treasure to protect Taiwan? I don't think so. Mr. Biden may not do it either, depending on how close it comes to the election, because that's, see, that's the key. The election, the Chinese are going to watch the American elections very closely. And if it looks like the Republican candidate, whoever that is, uh, be Donald Trump, be DeSantis, or whoever would be running at the time, if it looks like they're going to win, they would probably make their move before those people took office, because they would assume that a Republican will be much more forceful in a response, uh, more strategic, more appropriate, um, as opposed to our friends on the left and especially the Biden administration. Now, I think this because not only do I think their policies are weak and Joe Biden is weak, I also think he is beholden to the Chinese and all these other people who have been paying him and his family for years, millions and millions of dollars. And I think he will not say anything against them. He will not be upset with them. He will not do anything because they have the goods on him. Now, that's just my guess. I don't know that for sure. What do I know? I'm not involved in that. But you look at common sense. And you say, how would you let a guy, a country fly a spy balloon all across your country, all over the place, sending back real-time data about your military bases, and you don't do anything about it? Then when you find out, okay, I better do something, and they shoot it down, and there's no penalty. Were the Chinese sanctioned for doing that? Did they suffer any penalty? Did he say one negative word about them? No. He made light of it. Oh, it's, it's just a balloon. It's no big deal. We don't think they did anything. It's nothing like that. Right? This tells me he is compromised uh, by the Chinese and probably lots of other countries, which leads me to some interesting thing I saw just recently. Um, I think it's Representative Comer and Senator Grassley. They're doing some investigations on the Biden criminal network family and all the things that Joe Biden's been involved in to try and figure out if he is compromised. Don't you want to know if your president is compromised by one of our enemies? No matter how much you want to have abortions everywhere, do you really want your president to be compromised where they can't do what America needs them to do because uh, they could be exposed? So, yeah, I would say put the abortion thing aside for a minute. Okay, you, there's plenty of time to do abortions. Let's worry about our nation as a whole right now. So that's what I think is going on. I think he is, uh, he is clearly compromised with these people, and he's not going to do anything negative to them. Now, when, when people thought that Trump was involved with Russia, anything Trump said that wasn't, Russia's bad, we should blow them up. If he didn't say that, it's because he's in coots. He's coots. He's in coots with uh, Putin. Here you have all this smoking gun evidence, all these brimming fires of evidence that the Biden family is involved with China, uh, up, uh, up the wazoo. But there's not one accusation that maybe he's compromised. Matter of fact, if you say he's compromised, you're a conspiracy nut. Joe Biden is the greatest guy of all. He would never do that. Meantime, he has millions and millions of dollars for beach houses, lifestyle that's unbelievable. We have uh, the laptop. Remember that laptop? Oh, that laptop is fake. When they all knew it was real, including our intelligence agencies, our FBI, and all of those people that signed that letter 
that knew it was fake. Now they're all backtracking. Now that it's come out that they realized it was a setup, that letter, all along, that they all knew all along that was a real laptop and all that stuff in there is true, now they're backtracking. Well, I didn't really know. I was told by other intelligence people, and I went along because I thought that was right for the country. But, unfortunately, um, probably nothing will happen to any of those people. They won't be held to account. They will get over on it. They will get away with it. Um, and the people who are screwed are you and me, the real American citizens who were betrayed by these people. Uh, I talked to my father-in-law, Ted, who Ted just had his 90th birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Ted. 90 years old. God bless him. Ted and I talk about it all the time, and it's very frustrating to see all of these people that we put our trust in, we put our, our belief that they'll do the right thing, that, that the country comes first. And in reality, it does not. Uh, what comes first is their own needs, their own wants, their desires, their selfishness, uh, the ability to take care of themselves, pad their own pockets. That's what comes first, and you are an afterthought. So that's really upsetting. But Comer and Grassley have come out and said that they have a document... And a whistleblower, I'm sorry, they have a whistleblower who says the whistleblower has a document that will prove clearly uh, Vice President Biden's deal to use influence for money and other gain. Now, if this whistleblower has this document, uh, we have to do the investigation correctly. But where is it? And this is where I get frustrated with my friends on the right. Because you now have, you have a limited window of power to do something. Holding hearings is great, and asking questions is great, and all that is great. Just like I used to say about Adam Schiff, I have absolute proof that Trump colluded with this person. And we never saw that evidence. Nobody ever demanded it. Well, we, the American people should demand. What happened to the other whistleblower, the IRS whistleblower, who came out and said, that he saw that uh, all these government agencies were doing everything to protect uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Where, where's that whistleblower? That kind of died away. Where's the, the, I thought we loved whistleblowers in this country. Whistleblower's the most truest person in the world. You have to listen to them. Unless, of course, it's against one of our friends on the left. Then all of a sudden the whistleblower is biased. The whistleblower is crazy. The whistleblower hates people. Where is this whistleblower? The whistleblower, through their lawyer, was saying, "I want, uh, I want assertion. I want, uh, I want people to agree that I'm not going to get in trouble for blowing the whistle. I want some protections. How come that was not immediately granted by the Congress? Do whatever I have to do, and both sides, both sides of the aisle. So, don't we want the truth? That's what I would say to my friends on the left. If this is a whistleblower, you're an expert politician." You should get that person up there, give them whatever protections they need, and then you ask them questions. You vet them out in front of the American people. And if you think they're full of BS, you'll be able to prove that when you ask the right questions. But they're not doing that. Our friends on the right are not doing it. They're not talking about it. They're not bringing it up. Now, maybe there's some grand plan behind the scenes to use this whistleblower somehow. But how come there's no leaks of the whistleblower's commentary? what the whistleblower says. You remember all the whistleblowers that came forward about Donald Trump? All who turned out to be full of BS, by the way. All the leaks that came out, and this is what they're going to say, and this is what they know, and this is what... How come there's no, no leaks of what this whistleblower is going to say, other than the whistleblower has this information about the special treatment for the Biden family? Now we have a second whistleblower who's got a document 
that shows uh, Joe Biden as vice president sold influence. That is an impeachable, treasonable action. Where is that? How come we're not seeing that? Why is that not every single day in front of us? Where are our friends in the Congress standing on the steps of the Capitol that they control now, the House of Representatives, why are they not having a press conference every single day, stomping their feet, bringing someone out with a hood on so you can't see who it is and go, this is the whistleblower. This person wants to tell us the truth. We're going to give them immunity. We're going to protect them and make sure they're not injured uh, financially or, or career-wise to come out and tell the truth. How come we're not seeing that? This is why I have very little faith in any of them. This is why when you look at the uh, Congress and you say, you know, how are they rated? They're rated, you know, in the nines and tens for rating. But what do we do? What are all of you going to do, most of you? And I don't want to insult anybody, but it's really true. Uh, you're going to go to the, to the voting booth and you're going to go in and vote for the same congressman you have now, even though they never do what you want them to do and you don't like Congress. My guy is good. My girl is good. Right? Instead of turning them all out, and getting better people in there, we're all going to go and vote for our congressmen because they're good, right? So this is part of the problem that we have. So if this, if these people have this, if Comer and Grassley have this whistleblower, we should see that person today. Not next week, not three months from now, or they should not disappear into obscurity like the IRS whistleblower did. And I could be totally wrong. They could have the, already have the person given their statement. They could be investigating things. But it's going to take how long? They're going to lose control of the Congress. Our friends on the left will take it back over, and every single one of these uh, investigations will be squashed. Evidence will be destroyed, will be removed. It'll be gone. This is our moment to find out the truth, to hold people accountable. Let's hear what evidence you have. Don't pull a shift and tell us you got it and never show it. Show it. Bring it out in front of the American people. Let's hear it. Let's see it. That's what I say. That's what Lieutenant Jill says. All right. Um, it's it's scary to think that our country is in this position. Now, I heard something the other day that our military uh, has got all this diversity, inclusion, and equity things going on. Now, I'm, I'm not against diversity, inclusion, and equity. I think we should include everybody. You know, we're a nation of lots of different kinds of people, different kinds of beliefs. I think we should look at all of that. But when I see the things that they're doing, are they building the next group of fighters that we need to go fight and die for our country? Is that what the military is doing? Or are they doing all this other social stuff? Right? Uh, the great uh, Rush Limbaugh used to say that the Army's purpose was to uh, uh, break things and kill people. Are we building a military that can do that uh, righteously when America needs strength? I don't know that we are, and I think that's, that's probably one of the scarier things. I also saw, and I think we reported on this when it was first rumored, but a court has now stepped up and said that there's a, a high school, and I, I don't honestly, I think it's Oklahoma. I can't, it can't be right. I don't want to, any aspersions on Oklahoma, but I thought it was in the Midwest, that there is a Satan club, and that the Satan club has every right to uh, hold meetings and do this. As a matter of fact, they had the guy on, I think he was on Fox News, one of these, uh, one of these Satan guys. And uh, he was being asked questions about, well, you know, it's really about the truth and it's really about this, that, and the other. It's not about, you know, demons and all that. Well, I have to tell you, a Satan club uh, is about demons. It's about evil. It's about horror. Now, do people have a right to believe it? They absolutely do. 
Are we nuts and out of our mind for letting us have that in our schools? For children to be exposed to that kind of evil? I think we're nuts. Now, what if somebody wanted to have a Nazi club? You know, the Nazi party is, is still legitimate. People can be Nazis if they want to be. Would we allow a Nazi club in one of our schools? Because they have a right to speak, right? And I'm a big free speech person. Or would we say, no, that is just so detrimental that we would not allow a Nazi club to take place in school? Well, we're talking, they're now allowed to have a Satan club, right? And, and if you're religious, you can imagine the implications of that. We're giving a voice to the devil, right? You can't have a Christian club, but you can have a Satan club. What is wrong with our country? These are some of the things that I think as we're going forward, we had better figure out who we are because we seem lost. We are lost in how we deal with each other. We are lost in not understanding what's right and wrong anymore. You know, it's one thing when you have uh, an understanding that we all kind of agree on the right things and the wrong things, and then we just we do things differently. That's perfectly uh, acceptable. That's, you know, that's how we debate things. But our country today is made up of so many things that you can look at and, and say, what the hell is going on? How is this America, apple pie, red, white, and blue? Well, of course it's not. Uh, in some places it still is. But for many people in our country, about half of them, if not a little more, they want that to go away. They don't believe in that. Matter of fact, they hate it. For all the people that say, you know, conservatives and people on the right hate people, hate everything. I don't think we hate anything. We might disagree with things, but we don't hate anybody. It's our friends on the left that have a tendency to hate and lose their minds and call for people to be removed and shot and, and all kinds of other things because they don't believe in the same kind of things. And we can't live with that kind of conversation. That is not a conversation. That is not talking. That is dangerous for our country. So I'm hoping and I'm going to pray. Yes, I'm going to pray that somehow or other uh, God sees fit to help this country, which is the light of the world, always has been, and hopefully will continue to be. All right, my friends, remember, until we meet again, be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem.